Let's turn in our Bibles or on our devices to Hebrews chapter 11. If you use a device, we use the English Standard Version of Scripture, so you can pull that up on your phone or iPad. Or This morning we'll be considering verses 17 through 31. Hebrews 11, as I mentioned last week, is one of the most well-known passages of the New Testament. It's often referred to as the hall of faith because in it, the writer of Hebrews tells us what faith in God is and then he shows us what faith in God should often look like. And he does so by drawing our attention to 16 men and women from the Old Testament who lived and died by faith. Faith, we are told in in verse 1, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Christians are those who, A, believe that God is who he says he is, B, they believe that God will do all that he has promised to do, and therefore, C, they entrust themselves to him completely. This is faith. This is what faith in God is. And last Sunday, in verses 1 through 16, the writer of Hebrews drew our attention to Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah. And from these exemplary men and women, we were reminded that our faith in God can often be expressed through generosity, trust, courage, risk. And last week I actually forgot to to, to give a word that kind of summarized Sarah's faith and Paul Deacon was like, hey, what about about patience? Right on, patience. So last week we saw that that our faith can and, and should often be expressed through our generosity and trust and courage and risk and patience. And now today, In verses 17 through 31, through the examples of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and even Rahab, the prostitute woman from Jericho, we are shown even more ways that we might express our faith in the great creator God who keeps his promises. And so I would invite you to follow along as I read Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 31. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. 
By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word inspired by your Holy Spirit and piercing our hearts by the miraculous and mysterious work of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would, in fact, open our hearts, our minds, give us understanding of this passage, give us an appreciation for those who have walked before us faithfully, and give us, Lord, by your power, by the power of your Spirit, give us the ability to also walk out by faith in God into this world to bear witness to he who is our Savior and to expect with joyful longing his return. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We were shown in, in, in 1 through 16 that our faith in God can be expressed in our generosity, our trust, our courage, our risk, and our patience. And now... In 17 through 31, we've just been shown that our faith in God can be expressed, can be demonstrated in our, and here will be a four-point outline, submission, instruction, defiance, and obedience. This is how our faith can be expressed in submission, instruction, In defiance and obedience for the remainder of our time, those will serve as the headings or the points of our outline. And so number one, let's look at submission. In verses 17 through 19, the writer of Hebrews takes us back to the book of Genesis when God put Abraham's faith to the test. So God had promised Abraham that he and his wife Sarah would conceive and bear a son and that they should name him Isaac. And God had also promised that through Isaac, well, even more descendants would be given. As many descendants, as numerable as the stars of the sky and the sands of the seashore. Well, by the time we get to Genesis chapter 22, and I know that we're not turned there, but you can take my word for it, I guess, for a moment. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 22, so God had fulfilled the initial part of his promise. He'd given Isaac to Abraham and Sarah. He was their one and only son together. But then, in Genesis 22, if you're familiar, this will be review. 
God then instructed Abraham to do the absolute unthinkable, to give up Isaac as a sacrifice atop Mount Moriah. <laughs> what? How? Why? These no doubt were some of the questions that probably flooded Abraham's thoughts and they would have flooded yours and mine. And yet, and yet, if you know the story, I appreciate what theologian Raymond Brown says about this. Abraham, Abraham, despite being called to offer up his one and only son with Sarah, this child of promise who was to be, you know, open the floodgate for all the other descendants of, of who would become the nation of Israel, Abraham held on to the reliability of God's promise. He believed that if Isaac had to be killed as a sacrifice, well then God would raise him from the dead in order to fulfill his promise. In so doing, Abraham refused to put limits on the power of God. And therefore, he put no limits on his submission to God. So let me bring this onto the ground for us, ground level. When it comes to your, your spouse, your, your, your kids, your home, your health, your savings, etc. Man, looking at this testimony of Abraham's, the, the passage that has continued to arise in my heart this week has been Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. What that requires is that when your spouse is sick or your kids are wayward or your home seems to be going into foreclosure or your own health is on the decline or your savings account is running on empty, well, even then, trust in the Lord as Abraham did with all your heart, not leaning on your own understanding and in all your ways, acknowledge God, come back to this as Abraham no doubt did again and again and again. God is who he says he is and God will do all that he has promised to do. And so therefore I don't understand what I'm being asked to walk through, but I nevertheless will do so. I will entrust myself and I will entrust everything I have to you, God, because you're trustworthy what Abraham did. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him as Lord and trust yourself to him as Lord. And he will, he promises, he will make your path straight. So faith in God can be spelled S-U-B-M-I-S-S-I-O-N. Submission, right? We're going to do that every single time this morning. Point number two. Faith can also be demonstrated in instruction. Let me show you what I mean by that. In verses 20 through 22, we're reminded of when Abraham's son Isaac, he called upon the promises of God. And he did so in the presence of and over the lives of his sons, Jacob and Esau. Isaac invoked the promises of God, the writer of Hebrews says. Now, there are a number of things that we might take away from this, but see with me, see with me, Isaac 
passed down to his sons what his father Abraham had passed down to him. And then see with me that Jacob, Isaac's son, well, he did the same thing on his deathbed, passing down to his descendants what his father Isaac had passed down to him. And then see with me how Joseph did the same thing, alerting all his descendants that God would be leading them in a matter of time out of the land of Egypt. And Joseph also explained that he wanted his remains to be taken with them, right? So see with me a pattern of instruction. You might even use the word discipling or preparing. It's on display in verses 20 through 22. And so let me bring this onto the ground for a second and address the dads in the room, the moms in the room, or the, 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 the spiritual parents. We make a big deal of that here because if you are not a biological or adoptive mom or dad and you're here, you're a member, well, you are a spiritual parent to the, to the little ones that you see around you. And so let me address you. A most wonderful expression of your own faith in God is a daily laboring to kindle the faith of your children, the next generation. A most wonderful expression of your own faith, fathers, mothers, is to open the precious book of God's promises every evening, maybe around the dinner table, or maybe in your living room, or maybe in your kid's bedroom before they go to sleep. A most wonderful expression of your own faith is to open the precious book of God's promises and then passionately read from it like you believe it. For your kids to hear. Let your kids see you holding God's word and handling God's word. Let them see you read from it with a sincerity and a tone that says, I believe what I'm reading right now with every fiber of my being. Let them see you read from God's word and then let them see what it looks like to be read out by God's word. Let me give you an example. Mothers, fathers, spiritual parents of Oaks Church, when you read, let's say at the dinner table for devotions while your kids are chowing down, this is my method, they're dead quiet because they're all eating. I'm hungry, but I'm just gonna open this up and read while it's quiet. Suppose we come to a passage like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding, kids. Now, don't just show them to read with passion, but show them what it looks like to be read out by a text and say, oh man, Finley Bray, Haddon, Keller, Emmett, if you only knew how many times I fail to trust in the Lord with all my heart, if you only knew how many times that I lean way more on my own understanding than I do God's, show them what it looks like to be read out by scripture humbly confessing and then praying together oh lord give me as their father and give us as this house give us the ability to trust in you more and more and more with our hearts and not lean on our own understanding 
This demonstrates to our children, as, as these men in this passage did, God is real. He is who he says he is. God will do everything that he promises to do, and we can completely entrust ourselves to him. So faith can be spelled I-N-S-T-R-U-C-T-I-O-N, instruction or discipling or whatever other word you want to use there. Point number three, this one, this particular word took me the, the longest to land on. Sometimes faith can be expressed in defiance, disobedience. Let me show you what I mean. Look back with me. Look at, with me at verse 23, and then after 23, we're going to look at verse 31. So at the time of Moses' birth in Exodus 2, the Hebrew people who were to be known as the Israelites in time, well, they had grown so large in the land of Egypt that the king, Pharaoh, had decreed that all the baby boys that were born to the Hebrew women were to be killed at birth. But Moses' parents, when Moses was born... They saw that he was beautiful, and by faith in God, they defied the king's edict. They defied the earthly king's edict. They disobeyed it. Now, let me cover something really quickly, because we might be looking down and going, like, well, the only reason was because, like, Moses was beautiful? That's it? Like that? Okay, so in the Hebrew language, that word beautiful indicates more than a cosmetic look. That, that word indicates that, that Moses' parents saw in him a special, a holy, unto God set-apartedness. They recognized that God was going to use Moses to accomplish God's work. They recognized. Now, all human, I, don't, I hope I don't need to say this to my brothers and sisters in Christ, all human life is beautiful, Right? We even see like the, the, the Hebrew midwives around this time. They, they all disobey Pharaoh. And none of them goes into throwing out, casting out the little baby boys because all life is precious and beautiful. And they, they, they spare the baby boys of the Hebrews. But here we're told simply that it was Moses' parents that by faith they defied the desires of the land. And so this expression of faith Look, it might be unfamiliar to us, but it deserves our consideration, especially here in America as the cultural tide against Christianity really starts to press up the heat. I mean, even in, like, at a legislative level. When an earthly king, hear this, hear this. When an earthly king or president or governor or mayor or I don't even care, when an earthly authority orders us to do something that our heavenly king forbids, not a chance. Conversely, conversely, when an earthly king or president or governor or mayor or whatever orders us to not do something that our heavenly king has commanded, not a chance. This is a moment when our faith in God can and must be expressed in our defiance against an earthly ruler who has hopped the tracks and is working against what God has clearly decreed. Look with me at verse 31. The same is true with Rahab, the Gentile prostitute woman. Sweet mercy. What a strange character at first 
to be mentioned here in the hall of faith? You want to know, so this is just a quick commercial. I think that the writer of Hebrews specifically mentions Rahab. Because remember who he's writing to. He's writing to a group of Jewish Christians who were at this time looking down their noses judgmentally upon all their fellow Gentile Christians because they weren't observing the law of Moses like they, the Jewish Christians, had done for so long. Now here, the writer of Hebrews draws our attention to a Gentile prostitute woman who lived in Jericho. And the author, in so doing, is saying, this woman right here, she believed that God is who he says he is. She believed that God would do all that God promised to do. And she defied her local ruling authority because she believed that she could entrust herself to God. That right there is saving faith, Jewish Christians. And she's commended for her saving faith by merely being mentioned in this passage. It's the hall of faith, the hall of fame of faith. So about her story in the book of Joshua, second chapter, the king of Jericho, right? So the king of Jericho sends word to Rahab and the king of Jericho says, hey, give up the two Israelite, those Hebrew spies that are in your house. They've come to spy out the city because they, empowered by their God, they plan to overthrow us and destroy us. So the king says to Rahab, give up those two Hebrew spies right now. And Rahab, having hidden the spies on her rooftop, she responded to the king, those men are long gone. <laughs> I have no idea where they are at. See with me that her defiance of an earthly king was an expression of faith in the heavenly king. I'll never forget, first year of college, I was in the first day of philosophy class and somehow I live to tell the tale. I hate philosophy. My goodness. I was there. The professor looks at the whole classroom and he says, all right, imagine you're living in like the early 1940s, late 1930s. The, an SS troop from the Nazi regime comes to your door. Are you hiding Jews? And you are. What do you say? And I'll just say this because I don't think we have a time. There was an absolute idiot in my class, claimed to be a follower of Christ, raised his hand, said, I'd turn him in right then and there. And the, the philosophy professor was like, what? We, so a Nazi troop, a trooper comes to the door. Are you hiding Jews? Yeah, I'll show you right where they're at, right down here. And the, and, and the professor was like, why? Thou shalt not lie. Man, I'm not going to lie. So wait a minute, wait a, wait a minute. You would betray the lives. You would see the, 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 the end of these men and these women and these children's lives. Simply not telling them that you don't have Jews. Yes, that's exactly right. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know where that kid is now, but that's sociopathic. And that is absolutely not what the Lord would have us do in a moment like that. Sometimes obedience to the desire of the Lord requires a disobedience to the law of the land and telling someone who's coming in in cold blood to murder innocent individuals. No, defiance is required. Look, faith is not complex in this sense. However, it can be costly. So, 
Faith can be spelled D-E-F-I-A-N-C-E, defiance. Let's look at point number four, obedience. In verses 24 through 30. And actually, let's look first at 29 and 30. So by faith, the people of Israel crossed the Red Sea. The Passover event had just happened in Egypt, just as God said it would, because his word is pretty reliable. And the firstborn of every household of the wicked Egyptians had been, had been killed, just as God warned would take place. And at this point in time, the enraged Egyptian army, with their swords drawn, well, they were catching up to the Israelites who stood motionless on the shore of the Red Sea. Imagine being the people of Israel in a situation where the, the Egyptian army with swords drawn is raging toward us and we're looking out at an ocean. Where do we go? What do we do? They cried out. And the Lord answered, go forward. So, with all due respect, Lord, um, there's nowhere to go forward but into an ocean. And the Lord, go forward. Sometimes, when you and I are staring at a dead end, an impossible situation, sometimes our faith is expressed when we nevertheless, we take God at his word and obediently take the next step. And that is what the Israelites did as Moses raised his staff up in the air. They took one step into the water and then another step and then something happened in a moment that would forever be etched in their memories they watched with their own eyes as God split the waters of the ocean in half and blazed a dry trail on the ground, on the seabed, for them to journey across. At the conclusion of their wilderness wanderings, right? That had happened. They'd seen manna rain down from heaven. Moses had struck a rock. The water gushed forth. Their clothes never wore out. Their souls never wore thin. None of that. Then at the conclusion of their wilderness wanderings, as God brought Joshua and they to the impenetrable fortified city of Jericho, what does God instruct them to do? Put on armor, form ranks, spread out in battalions, and we're going to take Jericho by storm. No, because that is so not how God works. So God instructed them, and the, re, the, 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 the writer of Hebrews recounts for us in verse 30, he instructed the Israelites to march. Take a walk. For six days, take one long walk around the city each day and then on the seventh day take seven walks and at the end of that seventh one just start yelling have your priests blow the trumpets and just just start yelling okay put yourself in their sandals again for a second <laughs> what with all due respect god 
We are not going to raise and to capture a fortified city by marching around it and yelling. And yet, just like the story of the Red Sea, sometimes God calls us to do things that we don't quite understand, but what he is looking for, and hear this Each one of you is in some predicament, some situation, you're facing something. I know that for a fact because I'm a human being and I am. Sometimes what God is looking for in those moments that we don't quite understand, he's looking for worshipers who walk to the rhythm of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord. Trust him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And if you can't get to the all your heart part, then just a fraction of your heart, right? Trust in the Lord with this much. Mustard seed size faith. That's becoming a thing here, right? Trust in the Lord with as much as you can muster in all your way. No, no, no. Lean not on your own understanding. Don't look at what is surrounding you. Don't lean on what you are understanding. Instead, in all your ways, acknowledge him that he is who he says he is, that he will do everything that he promises to do and that he is worthy of our trust. Acknowledge him in that way. Entrust yourself to him in that way and he will make your path straight. Verse 30, by faith, the Israelites, they encircled Jericho for seven days. The walls of the city could have withstood the fiercest army in the land, but they crumbled like a house of cards. The stories of Jericho and the Red Sea, they remind us that obedience to God begets ultimate victory. These are victory stories right here and they really should encourage and boost us in our faith. The story of Moses, however, in verses 24 through 28 reminds us too, at the same time as guaranteed victory, ultimate victory, When we step out in obedient faith, oftentimes obedience to God is costly. It's costly. It'll cost you. Verses 24 through 28, after his parents defied the king's edict, in order to keep Moses alive, his mother floated him down the river. He was spotted and then kind of like adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. Moses then lived his whole life as royalty. Picture it. I mean, in Pharaoh's palace, in his household, Moses would have enjoyed every comfort, every convenience, every pleasure the world had to offer was at his beck and call. And yet, Moses knew who he was. A child of God and a brother to the enslaved Hebrew people. He knew. And so here in this passage, we see that by faith, here's the costliness of faith sometimes, Moses gave it all up. By faith, he had grown up. He refused to identify with those who had everything. And rather, he identified with not only those who had nothing, but those who were enslaved. Instead of royal treatment, Moses willingly accepted mistreatment. And see this with me. If you read this, like me, 
and you start to go, wow, um, I am so, I, I am so like amateur in my, I'm such a rookie at faith. I barely do this, like on my best day. Look at this magnanimous faith of, 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 of Moses. Well, look also at this with me, brothers and sisters, that in doing this, in Moses forfeiting, stepping aside from royal treatment, and instead being willing to be identified with those who were in bondage and slavery and who needed, we can see here a foreshadowing of the gospel. We can see it, of course, in Abraham and Isaac as well. You know, our father God, really on a mount that was very near Moriah, and it might have even been Moriah, where our God sacrificed, our father God sacrificed his one and only son to pay the penalty of sin for all God's people there. And he was able to raise him, and he did. So we see that foreshadowed. And now here in Moses, goodness, we talk about the costliness of faith and what we see not only in, in being, I think, um, uh, being pushed as we, as we read through these verses of, oh, Lord, give me that kind of faith. Give me that kind of ironclad confidence that, that I can and, and must face costly moments for standing upon the truth of your word. What we're also seeing here is, is Moses is foreshadowing the Savior of the world, Jesus, who did not consider his equality with God a thing to be grasped, right? He had all of the, the pleasures of the kingdom of heaven. He had the seraph and the cherub, and he had, he had angels. He had a crown of glory sitting upon the throne next at the right hand of, of the Father on high. All glory, all power, all dominion. And what does the Son of God do? He becomes incarnate. He steps down and identifies in the person of Jesus Christ. He identifies, not with royalty, but with the least, last, lost, and lowly, with the slaves and he, come, he came to bear our affliction and to lead us out of enslavement across our Red Sea into the promised land of his salvific rest for all who trust that God is who he says he is, that he will always do everything that he promises to do in his precious book of promises. And he is worthy of our trust. And so what Hebrews 11 is singing to us is, after all of these examples, and we've got more that we'll cover in a few weeks, but will you and I not already just simply entrust ourselves to him? Come on, let's do this already. God, you're trustworthy. And I don't understand what I'm seeing. I don't understand what I'm feeling. I'm afraid. I'm, I'm doubtful. I'm frustrated. I don't know where I am, but I can tell you this much. With this much faith right here, I can tell you this. I don't know what to do next. I don't even know where I am. But I know that I'm in your hands and my eyes are on you. Preserve me, help me, lead me, show me. I will follow. That is what is to be conjured up in our hearts as we read through this hall of faith. We see that faith 
can and must be expressed in generosity and trust and courage and risk and patience. And today, submission, instruction, discipling those that are coming after us, defiance when wicked earthly kings oppose our heavenly king. And last but not least, the one that courses through them all, obedience. Saying to the Lord, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I trust you with my heart. I trust you. And I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. Instead, in all of my ways, in my thoughts, in my words, in my actions, my attitudes, in all my ways, I'm going to acknowledge you as trustworthy. I'm going to entrust myself to you. And you will make good on this promise. You will make my path straight right to glory, resurrected bodily glory now and forever. If you have not placed your faith, this size of faith, belief, repented faith, telling God, crying out, I'm a sinner, I deserve separation from you in hell, but thank you because I'm hearing that you've sent your own son to live and to die and to rise as my substitute so that I can be accredited with all of his righteous merit. If you've not done that, I would implore you do that. Do that now. Don't waste a moment. You don't need an altar call. You can do it right here. You can do it while we sing. And if you do it, come and speak with me or, or Pastor Ed, uh, Seth or, or really virtually anyone. Trust in the Lord with your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and trust yourself to him and he will make our paths straight. Let's pray and we'll sing. I'm actually just going to, I was basically just prayed that just now. I'm gonna pray that again. Lord, help us. Father, help us by your Holy Spirit to trust you, to entrust ourselves to you not leaning on our own understanding, which is my default. I confess that. Forgive me. And if my brothers and sisters can relate, forgive them. Help us not to lean on simply our own understanding, but instead to acknowledge you as the good and glorious and sovereign God who will not fail, who will not falter, who will not forsake us ever. Instead, we can entrust ourselves to you because you, in faithfulness, will make our paths straight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.